Otherwise, we are looking at something different this week. Uh, yes, yeah, so we have ended our series on judges, all right? Uh, and in anticipation of Easter, we are now looking at kind of a, a short Easter series that it's focusing on resurrection stories. So this is uh, not just the resurrection story of Jesus. He's not, that's not the only resurrection story in the Bible. We're looking at all other stories of resurrection and places where uh, Scripture leads us to faith and the fact that, yeah, no, this, this thing, resurrection, afterlife, it, it's real and it matters and it uh, gives us such hope if we can be truly connected to it. And so we're starting with, uh, which something might not seem like a resurrection story, but it, it builds towards that. We're looking all the way back to our father, Abraham. Now, Abraham, the, the father of the faith, the first to be called by God. And we're going to see his resurrection hope being played out in real tangible works, in real acts of faith. And you see the power, the power that resurrection hope can really afford us. And that faith in the resurrection might be played out in, in real transformed lives. And with that, we want to see the, the death, rest, resurrection of Jesus, and then we might live as people who really believe in that resurrection. So with that, let's pray, and we'll, we'll look at the word this morning. Father, we come to you as a needy and broken and weak people who see before us uh, death and Father, who have, um, in the midst of, of loss and hardship, we have a, a weakness of faith as well. Father, we see the things that you call us to. We know the life that we're to have in Christ, and yet, Father, oftentimes we have trouble connecting to it. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to live with greater hope, that the resurrection might be real to us, that we might see the ways that we can really find power in your promises of eternal life. And Lord, finally, we, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is resurrected, that he is alive, and he promises to resurrect us with him. So Father, would you, uh, would you work in us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. All right, so we're looking today at Genesis 22, and we're going to walk through this story and see what it looks like to, for Abraham to engage with these things. So first, we start with the testing of Abraham, chapter 22, verses 1 through 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. All right. Now, just a reminder, who is this Abraham? Abraham, or initially Abram, is one of the first people called out and chosen to follow the one true God, Yahweh. He was not uh, born into this. He was called out of the idolatry and out of this false worship, taken out of his home, called to abandon everything, and brought to a land 
And God said, I will, I will promise to give you a land. I will be your God, and I will build of you a great nation. The nation of Israel would come from Abraham. All of these promises coming together. And it would all be kind of dependent upon this offspring. An offspring that would become uh, a people as numerous as the stars in the sky. And that was his great promise. And from that promise, he went and left everything. And yet, he's wrestling with this promise, and, and he constantly wrestles with this promise because he doesn't have any offspring. That throughout their lives, his wife was barren, and she is now 90 years old. He is now 100. And they have no offspring. They have no means by which this should ever come to pass. How are they going to live in a land when they have no people to pass it on to? How are they going to become the stars in the sky if you can't get one? And so, there is this great promise of a miraculous son that in spite of all of the obstacles, who would be born but Isaac? It was such a foolish idea that, that Sarah laughs at the very prospect of it. And yet here comes Isaac, who's named the, the, the laughter child, that born of laughter and born of the unlikely, and here he is, the one through whom all of the promises of God would come. The means by which all of these blessings would come to pass and would make all of this life worth it for Abraham. He didn't leave everything in vain. No, that it's, it's found in this son. And now that very same son, God is asking him to offer as a burnt offering to the Lord. Now we've talked about the the strange things that happen in the Bible throughout Judges. And this, this seems like one of those very incredibly strange things. And it's not that God, like, was unclear. No, he said, I will fulfill all of these promises through this son, Isaac, by name. And so he's saying, okay, take all of these things and destroy the one who is your only hope. Destroy the thing that would, would be the one way to, for all of these promises to happen. This is the one thing that can make all of this happen for you. Everything you've wanted, everything you've sacrificed for, and offer it up as a burnt offering. Now why does God do this? This is a test. This is a test of faith. It feels like a very harsh test. It's an effective test. It's leaving him absolutely destitute of anything else to rely upon. All right, we think of uh, human reason. There'd be none left for Abraham. How on earth could this be the way that God is working? How on earth is this going to happen? How are these promises going to come to pass if his son is dead? It totally destroys all human power. How could he possibly see these promises fulfilled in his own strength if his son is taken from him. And it takes away just what could be all of his hope. That all of his future hopes, all the promises are just dashed to pieces as his son dies. Instead, all he is left with is faith. 
faith that this God can do what he says he does, that he will fulfill his promises. We wonder, okay, is this, is this test worth it? But our God, he really does. He's, he sees the, the value of our faith that is more valuable than anything else. And for Abraham, it is worth the test. Now I wonder, if you received a, a test like this, a test of what you hoped for in, uh, before all else, the things that you saw as the greatest blessing in your life, if those were asked of you to, to be abandoned and destroyed, all right, what would you think? How would you receive it? I think the first thing would be, well, this can't possibly be the message. Why didn't Abraham just say, well, no, it, it, it gets lost in translation. I, I must have misheard. Or just excuses like, well, I can think of a better plan. How could this possibly be the way that you would want to test me? No, you said just the opposite the other day. It, it, this can't be right. And we realize that this is a huge call to obedience that Abraham actually has to take seriously. His faith is really being tested. And our faith is tested. That it's of such value that he would call us to trust him, even to, to great sacrifice. And Now the promises of God, the promises of God, they're supposed to help us to do these things. They're supposed to help us and say, well, no, uh, God, you have promised to love me in all things. Or you have promised to give me joy everlasting. Or you have promised to give me life in abundance and fullness. And yet oftentimes, what do we do with those promises? We use them to, to get out of things, not into things. We say, well, yeah, you are supposed to give me joy, so how could you possibly be taking away my favorite thing? Sin. Or my, my current idol. How could that possibly be good for my joy? No, uh, it's probably fine. Or we say, you know, how could you call me to, to leave behind the things that I think are the greatest? Or things that I think are so rooted in my identity and my person. How could you take those away from me? You promised me life. Or you say, you know what, how could you call me to sacrifice and mission and dying to myself? No, you promised just joy to me. Or maybe you think, well, how could you really call me to forgive people and turn the other cheek? And if someone really steals my jacket, I'm supposed to give them my shirt as well? Like, how is that justice? How is that goodness? How is that keeping all of your promises? Our faith is tested. Our faith is valuable enough to be tested. And we wonder, okay, what tests have you gone through? What tests have you gone through? And what have you done? How has your faith survived or not survived the tests that you've undergone? Now let's look, let's look, what does Abraham do? What does Abraham do? He acts. Verse 3. So Abraham 
rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, his, on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. All right. He was put to the test. And here is Abraham. What does he do with it? He acts, and he goes through step by step, obedience towards this end. And we can imagine how he feels as he wakes up early that morning. All right, how much did he want to hit the snooze button and like, no, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. But no, he rises in the, the next morning, and what does he do? He, he cuts wood for the fire, he saddles the donkeys, and he sets out. He finds the place where he is supposed to go. He puts wood on his son's back. He answers his question. He grabs his knife. Now, what should we see here? The Bible tells us what, what, what it sees. It sees. It sees faith. It sees faith in all of these actions. James 2.20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. This is not crazy. This is a man living and acting by faith. That his faith was driving him. And as much as he might say that he believed in God, at that moment his faith was real and true. It reminds me of a story. Uh, We're reading this biography of Hudson Taylor. He's a missionary to China, one of the first uh, missionaries to inland China. And he's testing his faith because he thinks, you know, I, I'm going to be in China. I'm gonna, not going to know anyone. I'm not going to know the language. I'm not going to know anything. So I need to test my faith. And so he decides that he's going to just live with the money that God gives him. And he's going to live by faith that God can provide. And he's called to go to this, this family's tiny little hut. The mother is dying. 
She's very sick, and they desperately need support. They need funds. They need food. They need provision. And he has half a crown in his pocket, about $2. And he's wrestling, and he's recognizing that at this point, he has a choice. That he can trust God that he will provide in the future, or he can trust the half a crown in his pocket. And he doesn't want to give it to them. And he tries to minister to them, and he starts to pray, and he says he he couldn't pray. Because he didn't believe in a God. He believed in his his half crown in his pocket. And he didn't love his God. He loved the half crown in his pocket. And though that was the only thing left to, to depend upon, that was all his money, like, that was where his faith was. Now, in the end, he, he gives them the half crown and like the, the floodgates are opened. And suddenly he can see God for all that he is. He sees the one who can provide all things and, and he worships and delights and prays with these people and, and everything is released. And he realized, I never would have said that I would sell my faith for half a crown but I got really close. It wasn't real until it was tested. And until I gave that half crown, my faith was in the half crown. Now that's the the hard reality of what James is telling us. That we we may talk big, but that our faith is proved by our works. And it's played out step by step. Now we ask, when we're actually called to to kill the things that need to die, are we willing to kill them? When we're called to, to sacrifice things that we love, are we willing to sacrifice them for the sake of God? When we're told to do things by faith, are we able to do them? Or do we do we make excuses and step back? Does our faith run to something else? When we're against the rock in the hard place, who do we end up crying out to? Abraham's faith is working here. It is working in, in spite of everything that we would know. Now, what was Abraham putting his faith in? Too often, we were not really given a, that window into a person's heart. That we may see the works, but we don't truly know, okay, what, what really is the object of their faith? But thankfully, the, the biblical authors, they, they reveal it to us. The Holy Spirit reveals it to us in his word. And we see it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Everything was in Isaac, and yet here he is offering him up, for he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. All right. That as he wrestles with doing all of these things, as he struggles to express his faith by works, this... This reality comes to him. Yes, everything might be in Isaac, but, and this, he's calling me to kill him. But maybe he can resurrect him from the dead. 
And what does that hope give him? That, that hope and faith in that ability of God gives him an ability to do all these works. All right, it would be way too easy to say either, you know, or I could not kill him, and I'd be pretty sure that God could handle that. Or I could not offer him up, and that would probably be a much easier path to fulfill all of these promises than to trust a God who might resurrect him from the dead. How unlikely, how impossible. Do you have great promises and do you believe in the great power of God that would actually enable you to live by faith? To act by faith? Are you looking for God to to do amazing things that can be beyond your explanation? Or do we descend down into doubts and faithlessness? Things like, well, Maybe God isn't going to keep his promises. Or maybe God can't be trusted. Maybe he's not that kind of a God. Maybe he's just trying to trick us and fool us and destroy our lives. Or maybe, maybe, I, maybe I don't understand what he wants from me. And maybe I can change the commandments and, and get out from under them. Or God, I think I have a better plan. One that doesn't require the need for a resurrection. It's a lot simpler. And I like it a lot more, and it demands a lot less faith. Yeah, that's a great plan. (laughs) How about we do that, God, and we're we're good. I think it's amazing that Abraham, of all places, he goes to, to resurrection, who had never seen a resurrection, never heard of resurrection, all he knew was God was powerful, keep his commandments. If he's going to kill my son and he's supposed to do this all through the son, my son has to be brought back to life. Right. Do we have like that, even that imagination with God? That he could possibly do things we could never comprehend or do ourselves. I think oftentimes I don't. I'm looking for the God who I'm looking for ways to doubt, not ways to believe. And how much more powerful would we be if we were looking for a God who could do anything he wanted and could actually act, that we could actually trust? Now, resurrection hope, that has a lot of power. Really believing in the resurrection gives us a lot of power. All right, do you remember playing rock, paper, scissors as a kid? All right, we played rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. All right, and then there's this funny thing that we all do. uh, And we all did it, so I don't know how we learned this. Uh, But then we'd bring, uh, we'd get out bazooka. Have you heard of that? No, we go, rock, paper, but then some kid would be like, bazooka! And what did bazooka mean? It was really stupid, but like, oh, it beats everything. It beats everything. And you're like, oh, Bazooka Kid came out again. And then everyone's doing Bazooka, and then it's just everyone's doing Bazooka against each other, and the game, the game kind of devolves, but it's unbeatable. 
the unbeatable bazooka. All right. Resurrection. Resurrection hope. That is the bazooka of life. All right, you're all playing rock, paper, scissors, and there's a bazooka out there that wins everything and defeats everything every single time. It's the resurrection. All right, when we say things like, well, I, God, I don't, I don't know if there's justice, and how dare you call me to forgive this person, and you just never keep your way. And like, then there's the bazooka of eternal life. And like, any justice that needs to be done can be done for all eternity in the world to come. And any way that God can make that up to you, he'll, he can make up to you for all eternity. And he can set the balances straight with an eternal of res- eternity of resurrection life. He could do that. All right, or say, uh, God, I, how could you call me to suffer and give up things that I think are so valuable? Where is my joy? And then we have resurrection life. It just like destroys all that. So it's like, okay, you can have like 80 years of happiness or you can have an eternity of perfect bliss that can never be taken away from you. And it's utterly destroyed. Like, oh, you didn't get to do that. How about for eternity you can do whatever you want in all joy and perfection? Yeah. He's going to keep his promise. He can. He has eternity to keep that promise. And if you're still not satisfied, then, then more. More for eternity. Or like, God, how could you possibly love me and do this to me? Playing rock, paper, scissors. And it's like, no, let's bazooka that thing with a resurrection. And no, he will show you the riches of his love for all eternity. And even the worst things will use as, as these great gifts that you now offer to God and bring him praise and glory forevermore. And will be the, the jewels on your crown for all eternity. All right. They'll get you through the rock, paper, scissors moments. And the question is, right, do, do we play the game like that? Are we engaging with this reality that, okay, if there is resurrection life on the other side of it, uh, it changes everything. For Abraham, it did. It gave him such hope that he could, he could do the unthinkable, the unfathomable. And he picks up his knife. All right, next time you are struggling... Get your bazooka out. And like, really think this through. If there is resurrection hope, if there is resurrection life, and God can work for all eternity, if he can set the balances straight in all things, that matters. And it changes things. But what's the problem with the bazooka? In Rock Prayer, says it's not real. It's not real, it's cheating! <laughs> and you can use it once and keep kids laugh, and then the next time you use it, no one wants you around anymore. Uh, <laughs> all right? It's, it's no fun anymore. Um, and that's where, okay, yes, there's great power in the resurrection if it's real. And if you actually believe in it. But if you don't, it has no power. And just like we saw faith expressing itself through works, if your works aren't showing that you believe in the resurrection, we come back to our faith and we say, okay, do I really believe in the resurrection? Do I really believe in eternal life? 
Do I really believe that there is eternity standing before me? When we look at our works, we say, maybe not. Maybe it would be this great bazooka, but I think it's not real. And I don't think the game is actually played that way. And I don't play the game that way because I don't believe there is a bazooka. All right. If that's the reality, you will not be able to destroy your greatest treasure. You will not be able to, to do this great thing that God asks of you. You will not be able to, to live by great faith because you don't think it's real what, what underlies it. Now that's where we have this great and, and ultimate hope that is far more than hope. Let's look at what happens in Abraham's case. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now God stops Abraham's hand. He does not call him ultimately to make that final and ultimate sacrifice. Even though his faith allowed him to do it, God calls him not to. And how does Hebrews interpret this? Verse 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Oddly enough, the Bible calls this the first resurrection story. That this is the resurrection of Isaac. That though he was dead, he's brought back to life. That though he was called to die by God, He did not. Now for Abraham, all he had was this kind of vague imagination. This kind of thrown up hope that, well, maybe maybe God can resurrect from the dead. Maybe he has that power. And it was just this hope, this wish, this possibility in the dark. And God uses that, and God uses it for his ultimate glory. That Abraham is is not only saved from this suffering, he is also given so many more promises because of it. He's glorified, he's, he's lifted up. All of the promises are now more secure because he trusted in God and was willing to do this. Now for us, for us, 
we have something so much better than just imagining what God can possibly do. We have something so much better than just, well, maybe God can do something greater. No, we have seen it. And we know it. We have Jesus Christ, who was the ram. Who was the one who was sacrificed in our place. And that's where this story, it seems really scary and harsh, I know. How could God possibly call Abraham to kill his son? How could we believe in a God who would do that? All right, he did that so that it would be a picture of Jesus Christ. So the ultimate thing that Abraham did was he, he made this beautiful picture of what God would do to redeem humanity. That though Abraham wouldn't have to kill his son, God would. God would destroy his son. God would kill Jesus Christ on the cross in the place of the sinful sons and daughters of humanity. That's the point. That's the point of this this crazy call. And that's where you might not know why God is calling you to be tested. And you might think, well, that's a stupid way of doing it, God. Abraham could have said, that's a stupid way of doing it. I'm not going to do it. It doesn't make any sense. And what does he find? He finds, no, this is the most, one of the clearest pictures of the gospel in all the Bible. That God would give a replacement for sin and for evil and for the need for death. And that unlike Abraham, God would do what was required. He would sacrifice his son. And just one last reminder, like, we don't know the plan. And what a glorious reality it was for Abraham that in his obedience, this is what happened. But then the the next reminder is, right, Jesus has been provided for you. And so all those doubts that say, you know what, no, I'm I'm just going to die and perish and it's not going to all work out. Right. Jesus has died for you. Yes, you deserve to just die and perish and to suffer forever, but we don't because of Jesus. He has been provided for us. He's, he has died in our place. You are not doomed to an eternity of judgment. I don't care how bad you have been. That is not your place. Jesus has taken that place for you. And then we have this far better promise, which is that Jesus Christ He died and he was resurrected. A promise that he came in your place to die for you and he will come in your place to be resurrected for you. And you will be in him and with him resurrected to eternal life. That is the promise. Not the hope, not the vain wish, not that, well, maybe God could do it. That is the promise. That if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you will, will be resurrected and you will live for all eternity before God in his glory. Does that give you great power? Does it give you a bazooka against anything that you face? Does it destroy all possible doubts? Does it destroy your, your temporal needs and your the things you're clinging to. 
does it allow you to act and to sacrifice and to suffer? If it does, then praise be to Jesus. And to the extent that it does, I think it does in, in every believer, praise be to Jesus. But if it doesn't, then this is the time to deal with that. This Easter season is the time to deal with that. We are going to be talking about resurrection. Do you believe in resurrection? The Bible does. The people who receive back their sons and daughters, they believed in it. And human history spills out with the reality that Jesus Christ did resurrect from the dead. And that his resurrection is promised to those who receive him. Let us live by it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are far greater than we could ever ask or imagine. You are doing things on a scale that we could never fathom. And Father, we are so full of doubts. We think that we, could, we know the way. We think that we know what true blessing and joy and love is. But then we see, and we see the resurrection of Jesus and we see how much further you are willing to go. And Father, we are humbled. For we have not even tasted the things that are to come. And so Father, would you give us a willingness to follow you and obey you not to earn anything, but because we believe that we have already found everything in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for your death. We praise you. We worship you. You are our greatest gift. Lord, we delight and rejoice in you, we pray in Christ's name.